Good morning, church. Man, it's good to be uh, here with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, will you please open them up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, chapter 5, verse 6, sorry, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. We're going to be continuing our journey through the Sermon of the Mount. Um, So Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And as we do that, that, let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, we are grateful that we're able to come this morning together as your uh, body to uh, gather, to have fellowship with one another, uh, to talk, to catch up. But Lord, our primary focus this morning and the reason why we we come is to meet with you, to hear from you. So Lord, I pray that you would quieten hearts down, that our minds would be focused, that we would come away this morning having heard from the Holy Spirit as he's revealed more of Christ to us that we would know more of Jesus, we pray. So would you waken us up? Would you stir our hearts? Would we have a hunger and thirst for Christ as we talk about this morning, that we would just want Jesus more by the end of this? That's what we want. Um, What a shame it would be, Lord, if we walk away the same. Uh, So we ask, Lord, that you would take my words, as simple as they may be, and just use them for your glory. Um, Lord, it's all you. This is it. If you speak, Lord, lives are changed. Not if I do. So will you come, Lord? Would you come? Pour out your spirit upon us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we, for those of you who are visiting or haven't been around in a while, we are going through uh, the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, This is part of our journey this year. And part of uh, the reason why we are in the Sermon of the Mount is because we feel that the Lord has called us uh, to return to our first love, uh, to love up, uh, to love with all our hearts Jesus, uh, to, to serve Him, to turn to Him, to pursue Him, um, to love out. Uh, In other words, looking at uh, those who are outside this church to just genuinely love them, uh, to want them to be part of us as a church, and also to love inwardly, to love each other, genuinely love each other, not fight each other, but fight for each other, uh, that we care for each uh, each other's needs, that we look after each other, that we genuinely care for each other as, uh, as we serve and love Jesus. And as a result, we we come to the Sermon of the Mount, and we've been discussing that and unpacking that, and we've looked at three Beatitudes so far. The first Beatitude we looked at, and this is the foundational Beatitude for all the ones that are to come, and that is that we need to uh, be poor in spirit. And as Mark has uh, spoken about uh, this morning already, I think you might have, or maybe it was in the prayer meeting, um, but... There is the state in which we come to where we realize our absolute need and dependency on Jesus. That's what poor in spirit is, that we bring nothing to the table, that there is nothing in us that is good. There's nothing in us that makes God want us, that he just loves us graciously. This is what it means to be poor in spirit, that Lord, I am completely dependent on you. And the comfort for those people is that those who do that see Christ They see him as savior. And in that moment, there is a entering into the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And it's a now thing. We're in the kingdom now, but man, there's a kingdom to come. And we're going to be part of that. The next beatitude is uh, results and stems off that and builds off that is that blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
And we spoke about how we start to mourn because of our state that we find ourselves in. We realize that we are wretched, that we are bring nothing, and as a result, we mourn. We, we say, Lord, forgive us. And we spoke about that mourning being a repentance. It's an action that takes place. It's not just a feeling. We can't just leave it at feelings, but it needs to result in an action, a turning to Jesus. And the comfort for those people is that we know that we are saved in Christ. That while we in, in ourselves, by ourselves, are sinful and wretched, those who are saved, now we are sons and daughters of the living God. That's our comfort. We are advocates for Jesus. We are ambassadors for him. We are uh, people that are the holy priesthood. We are part of Christ. And so this is our comfort. But it's also a mourning of the state of the world. Because as we look out and we see the world, we see its hopelessness. We see its pain. We see its hurt. And we mourn because we want them to be and have the hope that we have. And so we mourn them. And as a result, we are also people who are comforted, knowing that one day Christ is coming back again and there'll be no more mourning, no more crying. That's part of our comforts. That's part of the comfort we have. And last week, we spoke about meekness and we discussed what meekness was. That meekness is understanding that we are, again, building off the foundation of poor in spirit. Man, there's nothing worth in us worth defending. That meekness is not uh, defending oneself, standing up for one's rights. Why? Because there's nothing in us that is worth it. But we also said that just because we are meek doesn't mean that we are easily pushed over. It doesn't mean we are weak. Meek does not mean weakness. And we, we can be bold, but what bold for what? We are bold for the kingdom. We bold for the glory of Christ. We are bold for the gospel. We bold and we stand up and against injustices. We are men and women who stand for what is right. But when it comes to my rights and who I am, man, meekness is laying that aside. It's not being defensive. And that was such a challenge for me last week. How to be meek. It's tough. And so you need to have that in mind this morning as we go into this one. Because we cannot achieve this next beatitude if we haven't understood those. We can't hunger and thirst for righteousness, as we're going to speak about this morning, if we have not gotten those and those aren't working in us. And we're wrestling with those and we're letting the Spirit help us and mold us more into those things. All right, let's turn to our passage. Matthew 5, verses 1 to 6. We're going to read all of it. It says this. Seeing the crowds, this is Jesus. He went up on the mountains and he sat down and his disciples came to him. They wanted him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. That, that statement there is to show what he's about to say is important. He opened his mouth and taught them. Obviously he opened it, but it, it shows us the importance of what's coming. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Isn't that awesome? For they shall be satisfied. And so what we're going to do this morning and how we're going to tackle this is this little text in which we looked at breaks itself up naturally. And so we're going to look at just a couple of the sections. And hopefully as we look at each section and we come to the end, we understand it all. All right. 
So the first section that I want us to look at and the first word that I want us to unpack is the word righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? Well, first thing I want us to understand is that righteousness is the whole pursuit, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the goal and what we go in after is righteousness. One of the tragedies of this world that we find ourselves in is that we are searching and seeking for happiness. Happiness is the thing that drives us. Happiness is behind pretty much all our motives, behind all of it. Yet this passage says, happy are those, congratulated are those, blessed are those who seek for righteousness. Not for happiness. The seeking and the searching that we have is not for happiness, but rather for righteousness. Happy are those who seek for righteousness. And we know that the world has not found this. They have not discovered happiness. Look at the state that we're in. Man, the world is trying every new thing under the sun. All these experiences, this festival, this substance, this traveling, this, this, in order to try and achieve this happiness that we long for. And we can't find it. It's not there. But why does this elude us? Because I think we've misunderstood this text. I think we don't grasp this text and this passage properly. So what does it mean? Well, negatively, if I want to put it that way, it means not to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is not, sorry, we're not to hunger and thirst for happiness. We're not to pursue happiness. Because if we pursue happiness, it eludes us. It disappears. But the result of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is happiness is when we seek righteousness, which we will discuss and, and look at and unpack and what that looks like now, but when we seek that, happiness is a result of it. Martin Lloyd-Jones helps us to understand this a little better. He, he says it's like a man who goes off to the doctor. He's, he's in incredible pain and he doesn't know why and he heads off to the doctor and what does the man want? He wants the pain to go away. So if the doctor came and just gave him pain meds to take the pain away, it doesn't necessarily solve the issue that underlying the pain, does it? Just because I, he has a terrible disease that he doesn't know about, giving him painkillers doesn't help the disease, just makes him forget that the disease is there. What does the doctor need to do? He needs to deal with the source. He needs to make sure he, he finds a disease and cures that. And when he does that, not only does the pain go away, but it's permanently gone. And he says, he says this, so is the world who looks for happiness. We try all these things. We want him to be satisfied. We want him to have a lasting satisfaction and joy. So we try all these things. And it's like pain meds. It comes, but as soon as the pain meds go away, backs the pain. We need to deal with the issue. And the issue that we need to do is, and the reason how we find the satisfaction, man, is that we need to pursue righteousness. That's how we do it. That's how we find the satisfaction in which it longs for. But church, I want us to say, I'm, I'm using the word world here a lot, like it's those on the outside, but we find that this is also an inward thing as well. We find this in the church. Man, and it can be a little bit more godly than trying going to festivals and substances. It can be going from one event to the other. One conference to the other, hoping that we're going to receive a, an overflowing joy. We're seeking an experience. That's danger. Because blessed are those who seek for righteousness, not experiences. And so we need to make sure that we pursue 
what righteousness is. So what is righteousness? Well, let's, let's start with what isn't righteousness. It isn't a, a moral world improvement. The righteousness that Christ is referring to in this passage is not about the world just being better, our nation being a better place. My grandfather's here this morning, um, so he will know what church I'm talking about, but I grew up in a church that likes to use the pulpit as a place for politics. To stand up here and punt a political agenda, to talk about injustice of the world, which we, we will get to in the Sermon of the Mount. But the gospel is very rarely preached. And the danger is that we think that as we bless all those who hunger for righteousness, that man, we need to go and make this world a better place, which we must. We are salt and light. We are called to do that. But the primary focus is that we hunger for righteousness. Because when we do that, when the gospel is presented and we are changed inwardly, man, the world is changed. It's a result of that. That's what we need to be seeking. And so, man, we've got to understand that this righteousness is not about a political improvement or our country getting better. It's not either a, just a general respectability. Oh, man, he's a good guy. He's a good old chap, that man. Good fellow. That's what we're talking about here. Something deeper than that. And it's not as well a, a righteousness that comes with justification. And what I mean by that is, is when we are saved, what happens is we believe that we are sinful. We spoke about this already. We, we, are, we are sinful people, man, and, and we believe in Jesus. He, he, we repent from our sins and there's salvation that takes place. My, Martin Lloyd-Jones calls it the great exchange. He says, here's our sin. I'm not going to be able to do this with one hand. Here's our sin. Here. And when we believe in Christ, Christ takes our sin and we are sinless. But it doesn't stop there. It goes further. It's a great exchange. He gives us something as well. So we, he takes our sinfulness and we take his righteousness. So what happens is that when God looks at us, he doesn't only see us as uh, no longer sinful, as morally neutral, but he sees the righteousness of Christ on us. It's called imputed righteousness. And so this is a beautiful thing. This is the reason why we are boldly able to come before the throne of God, not because we are good, but because of Christ's righteousness on us, because of who we are in Christ. So this is a wonderful thing. And so in Scripture, we, we hear this righteousness spoken about regularly. But not here. This righteousness is something different. Why? Because Jesus assumes that the justification righteousness has already taken place. We see that in pure in spirit. Poor in spirit, sorry. Poor in spirit there. That's where that righteousness takes place. Man, I am wretched. I need Jesus. It's in, it's in the morning. Lord, forgive me of my sins. That's where that justification and righteousness has taken place. This, Jesus assumes, has already happened. So it needs to be another righteousness. It needs to be something else. So what is it? This righteousness, this desire for righteousness, this hungry and thirsting for righteousness is ultimately a desire to be free from all sin in all its forms and manifestations. To be free from all sin in its, all its forms and its manifestations. That's this hungering and thirsting for. That's what we've got to hunger and thirst for. So let me break that down for you. Ultimately, what it is, is that we hunger and thirst for more of Jesus. We want more of God. That's what it is. Why? Because we realize that sin hinders us from knowing God more. 
We realize that sin stops us in our relationship with Him. We realize that sin stops us from living out the life in which He has called us to. And we want to experience all that He has for us. And so if we can get rid of this sin, man, we can know Him better. This is why hungering and thirsting for righteousness is where joy is. Because when we get rid of this sin, man, we experience God more and there's joy in God. That's where life is. That's where satisfaction is, is in Him. And so there's this need for us to want Him more. That's what this hungering is. More of Him. I want to be righteous. And this righteousness is not, church, a pat on the back of ourselves. It's not thinking, oh man, how can I make people look at me better? It's not... How can my reputation be good? And we fall into the trap so easily. I need to improve. I need that, the world to see me as good. That's not what it is. The hungering is, I want more of Christ. I want more of my Jesus. I want to experience Him more. But if we make it about selves and we start to build our own kingdom. Man, meekness. Remember meekness which we spoke? Not about me. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about my life. It's about Christ's. It's about Him. And so this stems and flows into this. It's not about building my reputation, but about getting knowing Christ. The Pharisees missed this. Righteous, self-righteous. Put us to shame. But yet they missed Jesus when he came along. They missed him. And so we need to make sure that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We desire more of God. That's what it is. But it goes even deeper than that. It's also wanting to be free from the power of sin. Romans 6 has this amazing verse in where it talks about how we were once slaves to sin, but now we've been set free because of Christ. And so there's this deep desire in us that we want to be set free from that. Man, we are free in that, but we want to live in it. We realize that once before we were Christians, before we crossed the line of faith, that we had to do certain things. Sin was our master. No matter how hard we tried, we could not stop. But because we are in Christ, part of the privilege is that we do not have to sin anymore. So we want to live in that. We want to live for Jesus. In fact, actually, Paul will go on so far to say is that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. And so there's this desire in us not to serve our old master, but to serve our new because in that, I get more of Jesus. I want to be free from it. That's what righteousness is. A, a hungering and thirsting for that righteousness. I want to be free from the power of sin. But it even goes deeper than that. It goes deeper than that in that it's not only a wanting to be free from the power of sin. But it's wanting to be free from the desire of sin. It's desiring to stop desiring sin. It's part of us that we, when we realize our poverty of sin, is that we hate the fact that we even like it. Man, I hate the fact that I want to sin. When it pops up, there's part of me that likes it. That I enjoyed that. I feel guilty for doing it. But man, in the moment I enjoyed it. There's this wanting to be free from that as well. Wanting to be free from this desire of sinning. Do you see how much, see how this is far more than just a let's sort the world out? Far more than just a general respectability? Oh man, this is deep 
desiring for more of God. That's what it is. I want more of you, Lord. <laughs> and it results in an action. It results in an action. And we are called to, the next word we're going to, this phrase we're going to look at is to hunger and thirst. It's this deepness in it, isn't there? But we've got to realize that while there's this hunger and thirsting, there's this pain and we feel, there's this inward being that we have. But what we've got to realize, and this was insight for me this week, is that it's not a, convic- a conviction of sin. It's a hungry and thirsting for righteousness. And while they're closely connected, they're different. A, a conviction of our sin and a realizing of sin, being overwhelmed by our sinfulness, happens at poor in spirit. But in that moment, there's no desire yet of this is what I want. And so there's, oh Lord, I, I am sinful. I, I need you. I, I can't do this myself. But this flows and stems into a hungering and desire for righteousness. Lord, I want more of you. I want to live for you. It's, it's an action. There's this, I want righteousness. Where this is, I don't want to be sinful anymore. It's slightly different, but there's a change in things. And what we've got to be careful of is that we think, oh, I'm convicted of sin, therefore I hunger and thirst for righteousness. No. We have to journey there. It's a result of it moves to. But that's something in which we're going to want. Do you hunger for it? Is Is there a wanting in you for more of righteousness? Do you want it? More of Him. It's not just feeling guilty of your sin. It is wanting of Christ. And so this hungering in which we we have here, this stirring up in us is a deep, it's a conscious need. It's a consciousness of our need. It's a deep consciousness of our deep need. It's this point to where it's even painful. It's a hunger. And it's it's not fleeting. It doesn't come and go like being hungry and thirsty. It's something that lasts, right? I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry... I don't focus on anything else other than my tummy. I really, particularly thirsty. Man, sometimes we can forget about us being hungry, but when we thirst and we truly are thirsty, we can't focus on anything else. I remember as a kid traveling uh, and just knowing that I still had two hours to pee and thought, man, I'm thirsty. For the next two hours, I panicked. Oh, I'm so thirsty. I'm thirsty. It's this deep craving, this deep need for it. We can explain it like love as well. It's like when I'm sure some of you and most of you have experienced love before where that other person is just not around and you just need them near you. Just want them by. And man, no matter how long they're gone for, you just need them. This is something in you that you just want. It's the same feeling. It's the reason why I, I decided to marry Alyssa. She went away to, on December. She went up to her, uh, we were dating. She went up to go see her family for two weeks. December holidays, the worst two weeks of my December holidays. And I realized if those were how my life felt for two weeks, I could not imagine how my life would feel without that. So I went and got a ring, couldn't afford it, but we went to a place in order, trusting in Jesus. It's just burning in us that I want more of Jesus, that I have to have him, that I've got to have more. And so therefore I want to lay everything aside that's going to hinder me from stopping to know him more. It's this deep burning. It's the reason why this takes place that the the psalmist goes and and says this. He says, Psalm 61 verse 1, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. There's no water. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty physically, Lord. But Lord, I want you more. The craving that I have is, is far outweighs my physical craving. I need more of you. That's what it is. That's what it is. And so there's this deep feeling that burns up within us. And J.N. Darby, he puts it perfectly like this. He says, to be hungry is not enough. I must be really starving to know what his heart, God's heart is to, uh, toward me. I must, be, I must starve for that. And he puts it perfectly at the end here. He sums it all up. He says, when the prodigal son was hungry, where did he go? He went and ate the husks. But when he was starving, he returned back to his father. And this is not just a, a light peckishness. It's not just a, I want to, I'm hungry, I haven't eaten for a couple of hours. It's this deep burning of, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. So how do we get there? How do we make sure we want Jesus? Because remember, we've spoken uh, throughout that this is not an action that takes place. There's very little action points in which we can do. This is more the work of the Spirit within us. So how do we get there? Man, we need to start a poor in spirit. We need to understand that we are poor in spirit, that we bring nothing, that there is nothing in us. There's nothing that we have that satisfies us. Only God. He is our need. We need Him. It needs to move over to morning. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me from that. Lord, move in me. Lord, forgive me for what I do. And I want to come towards you, Jesus. Forgive me for that. And we realize the comfort that comes within that is that I am in Christ. It's a meekness of realizing it's not about me, but it's about Jesus. It's hugely important. Because if we think it's about us, what do we build? We build our kingdoms. We seek what satisfies me. We want to make me better. We want what I want, not what Christ wants. And so we easily fall into temptation when it's all about what I want. We need to be meek, selfless, as hard as that is. And when we get to that point, the natural reaction from that is, I want Jesus. He is everything. He is it all. He is my life. It's all about Him, and so we hunger in Him. If we are lacking hunger this morning, it's because we haven't quite got these things. Something's wrong in the steps towards it. We need to stir up and seek and ask the Spirit to show us, man, Lord, am I poor in spirit? Show me more. Lord, help me, Lord, to, to, to repent, to change, to want to have an action. Help me to live what I, who I am in Christ. Lord, make sure that it's not about me. It's about you. Help, this, help me, Lord. Help me, help me. Because then there's a hunger and thirst that stirs up. And if you're hungry and thirsty, it's healthy. It's healthy. It's when we are sick that we do not want food. But when we are hungry and thirsty, man, it's healthy. So be encouraged, man. Joe, I am sinful. I want to change. That's good. It's a good place to be in. Holy Spirit speaking to us. It's growth that is happening in those places. And the beauty of this is that we will be satisfied, church. It's a promise. Those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied. This is the entire gospel. That God, through Christ, satisfies us. We see it in, in all stages of it. 
We see it at the justification part, which I was talking about earlier. Man, we see our sinfulness and we hunger and thirst to be right with God. And when we do that, we are saved. And there's this righteousness that is given. We are satisfied there. But it's also a, a continuous thing. Something in which we are continually going in. So we hunger and thirst for more. We want to change in this life. We want to know more of Jesus now. So there's this molding and shaping. We call it sanctification. Fancy words become more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit in, in 2 Corinthians 3.18 is the one that molds us and shapes us into the image of Christ. From one degree of glory to another. It's not a silver bullet type thing. It's a process. Painstakingly slow. Lord, I wish I was better. Because no, I wish you were better too, buddy. Slow. But there's a satisfaction in it. As we become more like Christ and we enjoy him more and more, we are satisfied. It's like eating cake at the end of a meal. You're full. You're satisfied, but you want more. Oh, this is so good. You could stop. You probably know you should stop, but you, you just want more. It's the same thing. It's this paradox, man. We, we hungry for Christ. We hungry, but oh man, he's satisfying us as we enjoy his presence more. Oh, but I want more, Lord. I'm hungry for more of you. And oh, but I'm satisfied more. It's this enjoyment that we have. But ultimately, there's going to be a lasting satisfaction that comes. We call it glorification. Man, actually, in every one of the Beatitudes, there is a permanent, there's a now part and there's an end part. Man, we spoke about in the poor in spirit. There's a now part. We're in the kingdom now. But we're going to be in the kingdom when the kingdom comes again. There's, there's this comfort now. We're comforted by who we are in Christ. But oh man, we're comforted by the fact that there'll be no more mourning and crying one day in the new heavens and the new earth. There's this meekness now that we, we, we inherit the earth. We, all that is Christ is ours. But oh man, that's going to be realized one day when Jesus comes back. And while I've lost it all, oh man, he's going to give me the earth because he rules over it. So while they might take away it all, I will be on the new heavens and the new earth. I'll be at the new earth. And there's this comfort for us now. And that we can enjoy Christ now. But man, there is a time that is coming when the King of Kings is going to come down with the sword in his mouth. And the wicked are going to be cast out. And sinfulness is going to be taken away. And, we are not, and Satan's going to be removed. There's going to be no more temptation. We're going to give a new body, a new hope. There's going to be no more crying, no more pain anymore. We're not going to desire to sin anymore. We're going to be in the fullness of the presence of God. This is our hope. This is what we want. This is what we strive for. All because of Christ. This is readily available to us, church. So I hope there's a stirring in your heart for more of him. Because there's a satisfaction. This is where life is. This is where true happiness is found. It is lasting. It is not fleeting. It's not dependent on circumstances or situations. It's dependent in Christ. And we can have it now. Oh, but it's to come in its fullness. But we can enjoy it now. Don't wait till then. Enjoy it now. This is what Jesus has for us. Isn't our God good? So much blessing for people who don't deserve it. All because of Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, we are thankful that we are able to come this morning and just enjoy what you have for us. We are able to discuss that we are able to have you. We are able to know you. 
Lord, what a, what a wonderful privilege it is that we, Jesus is ours. That we can be your sons and daughters. That we, we are a part of your family because of what you have done for us on the cross. Lord, would you stir in us, each and every single one of us, a desire for righteousness. Because we want more of Jesus. Help us to want him, Lord. I pray for those who feel nothing, that there would be a revelation to them, Lord, of the need for you. That they would hunger and thirst for you, Lord. That the Holy Spirit would stir that up in them. That they would hunger and thirst for more of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who do hunger and do thirst, that there would be a satisfaction that we experience. That, Lord, you would move in us and, and satisfy us. But hunger for more, but satisfy us, Lord. Because in you there is life, and where else can we go? And so, Lord, I ask for those that are struggling and hurting this morning, that they would fix their eyes on the prize at the end. On the moment that will come when we will be in glory with you in your full presence, being satisfied completely in Christ, experience the joy of having Jesus in our hearts and in our lives fully with us. Experience the joy of not mourning, not crying, no more pain, no more sin in the world. May that be our reason to persevere, knowing that is as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow that Christ will give us this. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.